my name is Steve Levine. I am the president and CEO of the Clean Air Group. We are an indoor air purification company that monitors and tests air quality as well as creates cleaner, healthier environments. How long have you been in business? So we started back in 2003. So we've actually been in business 19 years, going on 20. Are you all over the place or just in the tri-state area? So we office, our headquarters is in Fairfield, Connecticut, and we have an R&D and manufacturing office in Tempe, Arizona, but we've also opened up offices in the UK, in Dubai, and in Shanghai, China as well. Steve, as consumers, we rarely think about the air we breathe. I guess we should start. The average adult breathes about 11,500 liters of air per day. So we need to make sure that air is clean and healthy. And one out of four people suffer from allergies and asthma. So as we think about air quality, we know that the outdoor air quality is bad enough sometimes, but then when you come indoors and there's issues because of carpet and people and machines, it's actually much worse. The EPA says that the indoor air is 50% worse than the outdoor air. So we need to try to do things to make it more effective and beneficial inside as we're breathing uh, indoor air. Well, not only that, especially when you work in an office, like I'm thinking about the office buildings in Manhattan, you can't open those windows. So you're stuck with that air eight, 10 hours a day, depending on how long you work. And especially if you're working at your desk, you're not getting a break. You're not getting to go outside and breathe in fresh or (laughs) sometimes not so fresh air. So that has been a problem for a long time time exacerbated by COVID now. We saw that indoor air quality, as we know, ventilation is so very, very important, as you said. And we've been working with general indoor air quality for years and how to make air quality better and and really taking an active approach versus a passive approach. But when this whole COVID pandemic happened, because we've been in business for 19 years, everybody started coming back to us to say, how can we fight this? How can we actively attack this? And there's several ways to do that. Obviously, there were general protocols, people wearing masks, putting in good filters, looking to try to do cleaning in the air. Now, how do we fight what's in the air? We're in great position to help many people with this extra layer of protection, this technology that we brought over from Europe to the United States years and years ago. What is that technology? So the technology is called bipolar ionization, and it's a specific type of ionization where we create these negative and positive ions. Everybody's been to the mountain environments. When you go to the mountains, those higher altitudes, there's a natural conductivity in the air. And that conductivity is caused by negative and positive ions. So prevalent in the higher elevations, but as you come down the mountain, those ions have been depleted because of pollution and emissions. So our goal and objective is to try to emulate nature and bring up that ionization level in these hermetically sealed buildings. And if so, if you can create the right amount of negative and positive ions within the space, you can really, in the COVID case, attack the contaminants, attack 
the different bacteria, viruses, and germs in a positive way. You know, you look at a, a typical particle, we could see in the air if the sun hits the, at the right light, you can see those particles floating in the air. Those particles are what we call PM10 particles, but the ones we can't see were what we call PM2.5 size particles. These are the particles that get in our lungs or in our bloodstream. Now you take it down even one notch smaller, the coronavirus particles, 0.1 size particle. So what the bipolar ionization process does is it actually binds these particles together, makes them bigger makes them heavier so they're much easier to filter out of the air. So it really is a proactive approach to fighting these viruses. When we tested our technology at Microchem, which is where Lysol tested, and it's an FDA and EPA approved lab, they found that by the introduction of our atmosphere ions into the space, it reduced the coronavirus by 99.92% inside of 30 minutes. So it was really powerful. And you were able to really, when the ions can attach to the lipid layer of that virus, it would actually poke a hole in the virus, deactivating it, whether it was in the air or whether it was on surfaces or underneath surfaces. You know, if you have the proper ventilation and the proper amount of ions getting to the target, you'll really be effective on attacking the different coronaviruses that there are out there. Oh, that's fascinating. Does the ionization process involve movement or venting? I'm probably not using the right terminology, but to get the air moving, we hear, is a desirable thing to do. Absolutely. I think every building has a central air system, or mm-hmm. most buildings, should, yeah. I should say, have a central air system. The idea is to be able to move the air and then saturate the air with these ions so mm-hmm. that you're continually sanitizing, you're continually disinfecting. And as long as you have the air movement, then you'll get those ions to the right target and that'll be very effective. Do you also have filters on top of that, or how do you get rid of the bad air? Every building, for the most part, has a filter, some better than others. The filters have different, what we call MERV ratings. You could go to a Home Depot and purchase a filter, but the MERV rating would probably be very low. And what that means is it's not as restrictive. So a MERV 1 or 2 or 5 is a filter, but is it really catching? Is it really restrictive enough to catch it, what you need to catch? So what buildings tend to do are put in what we call MERV 13 filters, MERV 11, MERV 13, and some buildings are actually going to a MERV 15 or MERV 16. Best you can get is a HEPA filter, which is Mm -hmm. very restrictive, which will catch over 86% is a MERV 13. And when you get to a HEPA filter, you're in the 98% range. So But most buildings aren't able to put HEPA filters in because they weren't designed that way. 
So if they put in a very good quality restrictive filter, and MERV-13 is going to remove 86% of what comes through it. The problem is the virus is so small that it will get through it. Sure. So what the ion and the filter is on the return side of the air trying to capture or grab what comes through it where we put the ions on the supply side of the air. So we're trying to attack it proactively. And again, if you can take those particles and agglomerate them, make them bigger, make them heavier, it's going to be much easier for that filter to grab. So our technology is actually making filters that much better. What does the government say as far as regulations are? Is there a standard? No, they haven't made the regulations that stringent, except when you go into a a LEED-certified building or a well-certified building or a what we call FitWell certified building. These are all ratings that can create overall better sustainability approach throughout the buildings. And not just when it comes down to air, but water and different building materials. So these lead ratings came about to try to make buildings more efficient and now obviously healthier at the same time. So when you get into that type of rating, you're typically dealing with at least a MERV 13, but that's only if building owners want to enter into those type of certifications. We wish more and more building owners would do that, and they are. There's a big movement to try to make it more sustainable and and really create the cleanest environments, but there is no regulations per se on filters and and what type of filters. So that's why we think by complementing filters, and there's different technologies to do this. You've heard of UV technology or carbon filters or Mm -hmm. electronic air cleaners. These are other ways that you can clean the air. But the problem is, again, they're mostly all on the return side of the air. They're all passive in nature. And I think if you can combine the active with the passive, you'll really have the belt and suspenders to be not only creating a healthy, cleaner environment, but also trying to be energy efficient as well. Do you see things going that way with climate change if the government does require and maybe tax people who don't pay attention in their businesses, maybe more attention would be paid and the air would be cleaner? Do you see that happening? I do. I see this pandemic has changed the way people think, I mean, in a big, big way. I mean, you think about water filtration and that whole Flint water crisis years ago has really put water quality on the top of the chart. Now with this pandemic and now the different variants, I believe people will be thinking about air quality and try to, instead of make it a luxury to have good air quality, make it more of a necessity. We need to get these employees and workers back in the buildings and we need to promote that these buildings are safer and healthier. And it's not just one technology that's going to do it all. We're not a silver bullet by any means, but if people can take that layered approach and really take their building's ventilation system and create the best filtering system and create an active filtration system on top of that, I really think that we can promote a healthier, safer building. And governments are giving away lots of dollars today so that buildings and 
schools and arenas can actually have the money to retrofit their buildings to put in these type of systems. So it's not, I really believe that's the way of the future. That's the way people are going now. And we just finished a huge school system. We got to get our kids back in these schools and yeah. but we got to make them safer and healthier. So it provides a better learning environment, one that parents don't have to be afraid of. On a smaller level in the home, especially with a lot of people working from home, which I think is isn't going to go away anytime soon. There is going to be a segment of the population staying home. How do do you make sure your air quality at home is up to par? Is throwing the windows open even in the winter for a little while a good idea? I always believe good ventilation and there's many people that would say if you just open the window and breathe that fresher air and create that ventilation, that's a step in the right direction. But again, we got to be careful where we're bringing that air in from and if, if the air quality outside, because if you measure the air quality outside versus the air quality inside, which is something that we do when we put our technologies in, we have these sensors and we can really tell the most important parameters. What is the CO2 level in your home or in your business? What is the particle levels both inside and outside? What are your VOC levels? Uh, a VOC is a volatile organic compound, which is like an odor. And sometimes they're, they're very bad and regulated by OSHA and such. And then what are your humidity levels? And then you can even dig down deeper into formaldehyde and benzaldehyde and carbon monoxide and things like that. But to me, it's more and more buildings and homes are putting in these sensors so that you can turn the invisible more visible and really understand what you're breathing and is it healthy. So yeah, I think that to your question, the extension of more people working at home, that's going to happen. And I've been working with some large banks, for example, that say, okay, if employee is going to come in three days and work from home two days, we also have to outfit them at home with some type of air purification systems. I believe it's also in your car or oh. when you travel. These type of technologies should be a part of your life. Mrs. Jones's daughter is going to school with a CO2 sensor strapped to her backpack to making sure that the air quality she's breathing is good. I mean, this is going to be the norm in buildings and businesses. Tenants or employees are going to come in with their own sensors. So if buildings don't have these sensors and buildings aren't being proactive to put in these systems to make the air quality better, I think you're going to start seeing lawsuits and things mm. like that that will uh, really, really push the building owners to make those changes. You mentioned your car. Can't you just open the windows for a while and circulate the air? Hopefully you're, you're not driving through a, an area with a lot of air pollution, though, I guess, right? Yeah, no, it's absolutely. You roll down the window, it's great. But if you're in bumper-to-bumper traffic ah. and you're breathing those emissions, going to work or coming back from work and you're sitting in that traffic, I mean, that's one of the things that I think being in those tight environments Cars have to have these good filtering systems now so that you can filter out all that bad stuff that you would be breathing if you're sitting in bumper-to-bumper traffic. So that's what I meant by that. It's going to be the full extension of where you live, where you work, where you play, really trying to 
be breathing the best overall air quality wherever you can. And, and that's you know, going to help our overall health. What do you say about things like, I want to cover two things. One, humidifiers and also making a fire in the fireplace at home or these fireplace inserts that really throw out a lot of heat. Some people heat their whole homes with fireplace inserts. How does that affect the air and what do you think of them? You know, humidifiers are a good device to have, especially in environments that call for humidifiers. Monitoring humidity That's one of the five elements that we monitor because you want to make sure your humidity areas are controlled because obviously if there's an issue, you could have a mold issue if you're not really monitoring your humidity. And so to me, it's important, but at the same time, you're not necessarily purifying the air. Humidifying the air is one thing, but it's not really affecting particulate or VOCs. So I think it's important, but it's not, I don't think it's the end all be all, but it's a good compliment again. Gotcha. As far as fireplaces are concerned, I love a fire. Problem with fire is if you put your sensors in the space, it's going to put these particulates into the air. And you have to be very conscious of that to make sure that it's protected and it's controlled. I mean, we've done lots of testing. We actually, uh, ASHRAE just did a test with ASHRAE, the governing body of heating and air conditioning systems. And they oh, just okay. did a test based upon fires that you're seeing out in California and the issues regarding those particles that can get into our lungs or into our bloodstream. And you really want to pull those out as fast as you possibly can. So if you're going to have a fire, just have the right protected coverings. Make sure that you're monitoring so that the particulates don't get out of control and make sure you clean out the fireplace when you're finished. But um, that will add to uh, adverse air quality. You've been fascinating. Anything else you want to mention before we uh, we conclude? A lot of great information. It's important. I know we touched on the particulates. If you have the right amount of what we call bipolar ionization, it will be very effective on pulling out the particles from the air and the spores from the air. So as I said earlier, one out of four people have asthma and allergies so that if you can control the particulate in the air, you'll have a much better breathing experience. The other irritant is volatile organic compounds. And what the ionization process does is it breaks down those VOCs into carbon dioxide and water vapor. So it smells fresh and clean like you're at the top of a mountain. And finally, just the issues around bacteria, viruses, germs. Uh, We've done many, many sports facilities where staff and MRSA was a concern on cruise ships where there there are issues on norovirus and now this coronavirus, and then basically in hospitals because of C. diff. These are all issues around bacteria, viruses, and germs that I think we can make a great difference by just adding this technology as a complement. And so those are the only things I wanted to mention. Our goal is to help change the world, make the world a better place to breathe. And I really appreciate you giving us the opportunity to help educate as many people as we possibly can. Well, thank you for taking the time. And if anybody wants to find out more about your technology or what's available, where would they go? Sure. They go on our website. It's at atmosair.com and www.atmosair.com. A-T-M-O-S? 
Yes, A-T-M-O-S-A-I-R. And feel free, our website is full of great educational and learning material. You know what I forgot to ask you, just as, as an aside, you know those sure. plug those plug-in air scent made by like Febreze and some of the other, do you like them? Those devices that push out scent into the air, what they're actually doing is pushing out VOCs into the air. Oh these, boy. These. So if you put a sensor next to one of those, you'll see your VOC shoot up. So you're actually right. It does mask the overall air quality, but you're really pushing the stuff that you shouldn't be breathing out yeah. into the air. So yeah. Yeah. so I would definitely be uh, not a proponent. Did, did you major in chemistry at Villanova? Well, I've learned over the years. I didn't major in chemistry. I was a, a business major. I like to be in businesses that affect people. My prior career, I was in the security alarm business. So it was creating peace of mind and it was helping people against fire and, and crime. And, and this business, is, it's about helping people breathe cleaner, healthier air. I've learned over the years and surrounded ourselves with the best engineers and doctors and people that, that are a whole lot smarter than me that have really done the testing and on the elements of air quality. And I've learned, and now it's all about the education process, explaining to people how they can breathe better, healthier air. There's no one device that does it all. There's no silver bullet. When you look at this bipolar ionization technology, it's one of those technologies that's going to change the world. 